Welcome to the CTO Function Podcast. I'm PJ Kerner, and my goal here is to help people understand and prove at this technologist role. And it seems to come in so many different forms. I interview all different types of CTOs, and we try and learn from their experiences of building and scaling companies. And I've done this job in different variations for 15 plus years. And But when I get together with CTOs, often the conversation goes directly into the tech. But here in this podcast, we're going to talk about the job itself and what skills it takes to do it well. But near the end, we'll dive a little bit into some technology and, and insights from our, from our guests. So I'd like to welcome Rob Fry, who is currently the CTO at Mesmo, which is a cloud-based observability platform. Some of the insights that Rob talks about in this episode are the importance of the CTO as a bridge builder, specifically between the business and technical side of an organization. You also hear him talk about the value of leading teams with trust, respect, and empathy. And you also hear what he has to say about this CTO as the ultimate gap filler, and he'll tell you some more about that. So let's get into the show. Rob, great having you here. Um, well, the way I'd like to start off is, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself, right? Your your experiences, you know, as a CTO and the places you've kind of done that done that job. Yeah, thanks for uh, for having me on. This is uh, going to be a lot of fun. Uh, my name is Rob Fry, and been in the technology uh, technology industry for about twenty five years, working. Uh, Anything from utility, internet, media, and business to business, uh, enterprise software, uh, companies like Yahoo, Netflix, uh, different things. As far as the CTO role, I was initially uh, the CTO at a company called JASC, which was a cloud sim innovator. Uh, it was acquired by Sumo Logic back in the day and then spent several years at an email security startup called ArmorBlox. And today I'm currently with a cloud data pipeline company called Mesmo. All right. Well, that's pretty cool that you, you have these three different perspectives and we'll sort of, I'm sure we'll sort of weave them, weave them together. So, um, you know, uh, I've, you know, talked to a number of CTOs and, and w- the one thing I know is there's like a thousand different ways to CTO. So there's, there's no, there's absolutely, well, there's probably now a thousand ways to this question. It's like, what do you, what exactly is a CTO? Like, what do they do in your, in your opinion? Um, I think the funny response is when you figure it out, let me know. But uh, I, I love this question. This is uh, where my head immediately goes. Is this is always a, a fun interview question for me when I'm being considered for a CTO role because the the questions you get shows the different interpretations, expectations, and even the biases for what other people think. The yeah, CTO tell me more about should, that. Should. Yeah, it's. Um, I think um, you know some people feel like the CTO, like you should be the best code writer. You should be the most technical person in the company. Others, it's you should be able to, to pitch the product better than anybody. Uh, many others, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, it's it's interesting how they've been influenced. It kind of goes back to what you're saying. There's, there's probably a thousand different ways to do it, so there's a thousand different expectations. And so you got to kind of, for me, it was about like uh, meeting as many CTOs and learning all the different ways that CTOs were successful. I still remember meeting you and you coming to Netflix and uh, asking me different types of kind of user experience uh, 
expectation type questions. I give you an answer, you flip your laptop around, you'd be like, you mean like this? And I was super impressed by that. And I was like, oh man, if I'm ever a CTO, I want to be able to sit with a customer and do something like that. And you know, then there's you know, all the other CTOs I've sat and I was kind of brought up with this. If you want to be something, find somebody that you trust and respect, emulate them, earn kind of your respect and, and your confidence and develop your own style. And I, I think that's what I've done over the last seven, eight years is to kind of emulate other people, get confidence, and then start to develop my own style and, and what it is to be a C, CTO. It's kind of, it's kind of a fun to like be doing this kind of, you know, show with people in some ways giving people this ability to talk to, you know, or through, you know, this video or audio format, like talk to CTOs they might not have been able to, gives them a little bit of that experience. Uh, like you, you've actually done just a kind of cool ad for, uh, you know, this, this, this show. Um, or, or, <laughs> and, and, well, and, and I share that with you, right? Because well, like, why am I doing this is because that I have that same kind of need to sort of learn from other people and, uh, and, you know, you know, emulate them, understand what they're doing well and sort of incorporate that into your, and I, I like having your own, your, your good point about having your own, uh, personal take on it. Um, I think that's, that's very important. I think there's, uh, there's something interesting inside of there. I think from like a, a simplicity perspective, uh, way back in the day, I don't, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was a uh, Vernival's uh, CTO at Amazon. I, I liked his answer. It's kind of, it's kind of stuck with me. I don't remember when it was, it was a while ago, but it was, it was kind of this, uh, his answer was the CTO. I don't, I don't know if this is exact quote, but the CTO is a person who bridges the gap between technology and business and ensures that technology is always aligned to the goals of the organization. And it's like, boom, one sentence simplicity. And while I didn't fully realize it at the time, and it actually really came to smack me in the face later, he used the word technology in there twice. And if you have a technology background, it's like, okay, well, I'm a CTO. This is what we're talking about. It makes sense. But the word I glossed over uh, before I became a CTO, but uh, was actually really important inside of that, was the word business. The CTO is the person who bridges the gap between technology and business. And so the, the you know, kind of the answer to your question is, you know, for me, it's like I enjoy startups. Right? Like, you, know, you started a startup, you're at a, obviously – You've gone through the ringer the last, uh, I think it's been 10 years. But that for me, it's important context that uh, you know, the CTOs, you know, at larger enterprises and uh, how the world changes as businesses scale. So what I felt in the startup realm is uh, it, it really kind of depends on the stage. And I think you threw that earlier. I've been doing it in the early and, and mid stages. And I've run product and engineering, been a pseudo chief architect at the same time, spent a lot of time on the sales team attended conferences, helped tune customer and sales messaging, owned the patent process, helped shape the company culture. Um, so many things where technical might help, but many times it was more about leadership than technical jobs. And for me, it's like with all that context, for me, the CTO role, or, or like if I'm mentoring people who are thinking about coming into it, just like I was mentored, it's like, for me, it, it comes down to leadership. I, I kind of aligned with a guy named John Cotter out of Harvard, who's highly regarded on the topic. He's just like, what leaders really do is prepare organizations and, and the people within them for change and help them cope as they struggle through it. And startups, if you're doing, if you're doing it right, it's all about constant change. But the second one being just being the ultimate gap filler, finding gaps in what you're doing, currently working on gaps in 
the things that aren't being worked on, gaps in the team, gaps in the message, just everything. And sure, yeah, technical background, for sure. But back to what uh, Werner said, it's like bridge that gap between technology and the business and all the different flavors and variations of what that means for CTO and kind of the startup realm. So, so what else? So, okay, so that, that's, that's a great definition. And um, so I like, I like the idea about building the bridge. Um, and you, you kind of answered this one, you answered this question kind of in your statement about filling the gaps. Like, what do you think the, what is meant by building the bridge? Like what, like what, okay, you know, like, yeah, I mean, it, uh, I mean, there's a, <laughs> where do you start with that one? I, th I think well, the just... biggest thing is, is that you're building a business. Yeah. I know, uh, you know, I had the, the opportunity, uh, many, many years ago to start to interface with VCs and as with my technical background. I wanted to influence decision-making on products because I wanted the best products to work. And a lot of those, those those businesses failed. And then I realized it's not about building the best technology, it's about building the best business. And that really, like I didn't learn that for many, many years after that because I was a technical person. On the flip side of that is the business side who doesn't understand the technology. They know that they want to make revenue, they know they want to build a business, but they don't know enough about the technology uh, the customer, the customer challenges. That's that's kind of your role. That's where you came from. And so being able to explain to them more so in business language than technical language. And it could be for a sales pitch. Like I love going, I, I, I hope my CRO doesn't watch this because I haven't done much with my sales team yet, but usually what they see is I go in and I talk to customers and I don't talk their language. And I say, and I do different things than what's inside of their slide deck or what's inside of their sales pitch. And then they see how the customer responds. Right. And so you're, you're, again, you're building that, building that bridge. So it's a, you know, the marketing side, right? Like they're, they're talking to analysts, analysts are, are influenced by customers, but they might not have a technical background. So they hear something from a customer that make an interpretation and now customers are buying it based off the analyst rather than, and so you, you now you need to help, uh, help the marketing team. It's uh, an analyst. It's uh, that, that business side, I think is, uh, it's where I focused a lot the last seven years because it was where all of my pain was. No, it makes a lot of sense. I, I like the I like the analyst comment as well. That's an interesting insight. It's an interesting insight in that you know they do bridge things between customers and those the product teams, but um, the technical angle in there potentially missing at times is a is a problem. It's a good it's a good it's a good gap to gap to fill. Right back to your back to your point. So what 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 are the kind of skills do you think? you know, CTOs, you know, need to have to be good at, and you've, and you've answered this already really in a few, in a few, in a few ways. Um, but what, what else do you think? What, um, I think, um, uh, I mean, the skills, uh, another good question. Uh, another, this one might have some hair on it, but I, I think, and I would, I would break this down probably f four or five different buckets. And, uh, you know, like, coming into a company or even starting one as you're building a team like one of the first ones you start with is trust and respect i think a cto that can earn trust and respect of, of engineering team product team like yep. what are you really going to do after that uh i think uh, second one is uh is being empathetic uh, probably listening with empathy um uh, i think it's it's almost as important as the first uh, and, and this this kind of reaches back to even the business. I became a better CTO when, when I spent a you know, not insignificant amount of time listening 
to and understanding the, the role, the challenges, and the impacts of sales, uh, marketing, and product. Uh, you know, what was all this tension and learning how a decision uh, in one could have implications and impacts and downward pressure on the others. And then being able to use empathy to facilitate conversations between any, any combination of the previous to create understanding and empathy within them. And then there's always going to be, I thought initially I could solve the tension, but then I realized there's always going to be tension between these teams. And as an executive, it's kind of your job to ensure that the tension is a healthy type. And so that, that listening empathy is important as a skill. And the third uh, is an understanding of the, of the technology, but not just from nuts and bolts perspective. And again, making it explainable to others, uh, technical and non-technical. I uh, would throw that one being the third one i'd probably throw in uh, uh being good with analogies so like a 3b to that would be uh being able to use analogies to create visualizations in other people's heads so that they can relate to the challenges of technology without necessarily jumping into to nuts and bolts and then the, the last two which really resonate with me with the, the current job is uh, being able to see the big picture market, the product, the customer, the problems of technology, and, and then how they'll bend and warp in the future and have the skills to develop a vision, which which has aspirations, but isn't too aspirational. I think this is a challenge for some CTOs. A lot of technical people is uh, they, they get too aspirational. Um, but uh, what you need to come up with is a, is a vision which is grounded in the day-to-day -day details of how the technology is going to be used to solve customer problems. And then, and then lastly, um, in the CTO position, you have really unique optics, uh, AP visibility is a better word, uh, and using the internal and external visibility of the CTO position to create strategy, strategy being the last one, and, and both the short-term and long-term capacity for, for goal building that aligns to business and, and the different teams and, and what they're trying to accomplish. So I think that those, those kind of those five would be the, the things I would say from skills or what I found would be important. Yeah, I think what's what's interesting in, in listening to you as you sort of talk and tying to what you said before is a lot of those skills are in like trying to build like they're trying to build bridges. They're they're in you know in that in that in that you know aligned with that kind of goal, right? So, you know, building trust, having empathy, like, you know, having that vision, you're you're trying to take people you know, on that journey, maybe they're a little bit scared to go across the bridge, right? Um, there's a metaphor there. Um, oh, yeah. They, they, they might not see it that way. Uh, that The biases, the biases, that's always been interesting to me is uh, cognitive bias in, in situations. Their, their past experiences, good, bad, the scar tissue that they have. And that, that empathy, uh, it, it, it can be difficult because you, know, you might be coming in situations where people especially because of the CTO role, like that might've been an adversarial in a previous job. And so I say it and it sounds really cool, maybe, I don't know. Um, but application is, the application of it is really hard. Like that, that it's, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of frustration. It's, it's not necessarily easy, which is why it's a skill. I mean, if, if it was easy, it wouldn't be a skill, I would do it. But it, it is something that, that you have to develop. What, so something interesting as you, I was thinking as you're talking there, it's like, I mean, building bridges does require a partnership, right? Like, and you, you point about the adversarial part. I could, I could imagine, uh, I could imagine have at some point having somebody on the 
well, I, I hope to have somebody on who maybe lived that role because that's there'd be something good to learn at a sort of what happens or maybe what dysfunction there is in that. But um, there has to be somebody on the other side who wants to go across the bridge with you or meet you halfway or, or, or something. Um, yeah, I think I think inside of this, you have to understand people's motivations and, and what what they're trying to achieve and aligning the, the bridge building uh, to not I think this this is like a really good skill for for product managers. Like the best CTOs I've ever met are the ones that never say no. And and they're they're able to they, they're usually masters of communication. I won't say the master of communication, but like trying to actually understand like I'm an SE, I'm getting just beat every day. And if you do this one thing for me, it'll make customers happy and make my life easy. Like that's a everyday motivation for an SE. But that might be at odds with prioritization and engineering. And so now, like, you got to find some type of middle ground there. And it might be an expectation around delivery. It might be inviting them to see all the sausages made. And that thing that they think is easy is actually really hard. And it's exposing them to, to both sides of the equation. And the same thing goes for engineers, right? Like, hey, sometimes you have to suck it up. Like, go build that thing. And they're not wrong. And it's not a, it can't be a one-way conversation i'm not the cto coming in explain to you why engineering is having difficulty with what you're asking it's got to be coming back to engineering and saying no they're actually right and the business needs this it's not about the challenge it's in engineering and trying to be everybody's biased trying to come at it in an empathetic way to be as unbiased as possible but understanding both sides as much as possible as well yeah, there's a, there's a kind of seeking truth aspect to sort of what you're saying. I think that's valuable. Um, I've had a similar experience when, you know, when people understand, like people make decisions on ROI, business people make decisions on ROI. And sometimes people, and I've had the ability to sometimes point out the increased R, right? The increased return on that, or sometimes point out the, there's another way. So that decreases the eye, right? Like the, you know, and you could play either side of that um, kind of equation uh, and provide some insights. And that does change how you approach a problem and maybe gets, maybe gets a no to a yes, right? Maybe back to the, your, your point about, you know, how do you get to, you know, how do you get to say yes all the time? I mean, you can't just say yes to everything you have to, there, you know, there's, balances and priorities but that's uh like that truth there and that understanding can help um yeah i think one of the things i heard in what you're saying is and it really comes to the healthy tension right like been in startups where there's unhealthy tension and all i want to do is get back to healthy tension now healthy tension has you know a little bit of a different spin on it uh to me healthy tension would be a debated executive team around a product feature and whether we should do it for a customer and maybe there's 500 or a million in revenue. I'm sure you've had these conversations like all the CTOs and what that would do to roadmap, what that would do to injury and marry morale, but on the other side, what it would help sales side, current customer, next customer, this other type of stuff. So it's, it's uh, listening, empathy, understanding both sides and then negotiating to some type of middle ground, but also, I mean, some, eventually somebody's gonna make a tough choice. And then, you know, hopefully you've earned trust and respect in order to, you know, be one of the people that's making that decision, delivering it, and maybe understanding, hey, the next time we heard you, it didn't go your way. We're going to continue to have these conversations 
and, and people want to be listened to. I think that's one of the, the big challenges, especially on the sales side that, I, that I've seen, is they don't always feel like they're being listened to. Right? Uh, engineers feel that way because you know they're they're just treated like shorter cooks. They they want to be. I want to hear what the customer's saying. I want to hear this and, and all that type of stuff. And you know that that, that you know that negotiation, that that communication, uh, trying to be an intermediary inside of that, I think is really important for the CTO role. No, I agree. So um, my next question, I'm going to change topic a little bit because I'm I'm curious now because we've we've talked a lot about the building those bridges. Like there is this idea of how broad you need to be in your kind of experiences, right? And versus how deep you need to be. And I'm kind of curious where you sort of like live on that sort of, you know, spectrum. Um, oh, man. Um, I, I won't say it was ever the, the most technical person. I, I always I always felt like I could hold my own. I don't ever felt like I would get into a conversation and just be over my skis. But uh, I mean, high level, I think a, a good CTO should have uh, deep technical expertise, at least you know, one or, or as many areas related to the product and the business, while also having uh, uh, a broad understanding of wide range of technologies and trends and, and as it relates to business, business model. Um, I think if you, if you jump down a level, uh, the organization's success at the product that they're building should be related directly to the CTO's expertise. I've seen CTOs who are highly proficient with like on-prem, for instance, who became CTOs of, of cloud-based companies. This was something that was happening a lot over the last decade or so. And they struggled because the expertise needed for cloud and, and the significant differences in architecture tool patterns and anti-patterns, even team design for one versus the other is, is very different. And it's, uh, you know, it, it also goes with, uh, you know, as a CTO, if you understand that, it also goes to help building trust and respect with regard to interacting with the team, having a good understanding of the tech and the engineering challenges related to the decision-making impacts different decisions have as they come up as a CTO. If you can articulate well why you should or should not do something because of that technical expertise, I'm to say having even to understand the nuts and bolts is more of well, what's the outcome, what's the goal, goes a long way to, to earning, keeping that trust. But at the same time, well, I've known the, and you know, I've probably known too, the CTO Brainiac types that are just good at everything. They, they're probably CTO for 10, 15 years and they still write code and do all these things. But I think the majority of us are more successful with, with breadth and, and finding depth in our people. Uh, CTO can't be a single point of failure. I've, I've seen that mistake before. Um, you gotta you gotta find and, and hire people that are better than you at everything technical uh, as a goal of a CTO while you're still keeping your fingers on the pulse. But again, to bridge the gap between the technology and the and the business, I don't think you can you know maintain the technical expertise, nor should you, because you really should be building a team that can do that for you, that provides you that information in an understandable way, so that you can go back to to the bridge building. No, and I, I think that's the, that is like why I asked this question is like, and you answered it very well, is like, this is the balance point, right? Like, what is the, like, cause you, if you're, as you just said, is if you're too much in the weeds, then you might be not, not yeah, not spending enough time in that bridge building. So you have to find this, this right shape. I think if I try and recall exactly the word you said, you know, it's like, 
hold your own. You like that, like I think you hold your own. And t- tell me a little like what would define because in some ways what you're what you're what okay if I'm interpreting what you're saying is if you can hold your own like that's the line like that should be the line like if you're if you're like but what like what means what does it mean to hold your own? Yeah, it's something I've actually been been doing here recently. So one of my cloud expertise or one of my expertises is cloud. Uh, I'm not a Kafka expert, but I built enough you know, cloud-based data pipelines that were SaaS's or, or whatever to know, to go to my current team who's struggling with Kafka and be like, guess what? It's going to get more challenging in the future. Why? Because you can't come up with a Zookeeper configuration for all the different use cases we're going to see in the future. Let me, let's talk about a three-tier uh, design pattern. So I, I understand that. I've lived it. Uh, could I go do it today? I mean, yeah, I'm sure if, if you demoted me and made me an IC, I'll go figure it out. But having, this is where experience comes in, right? Like having been there and understanding it, having then built and led teams who dealt with it, learning from those experiences and then coming into new situations to predict what's going to happen in the future, it earns you credibility, earns you respect, earns you trust. But it's, it's not that you're doing the work. They still have to go do the work. And every product is different. And, and I, I literally can't solve all those problems for them as much as I can lead them to let them know what's coming kind of down the road based off of that expertise and experience. Another one that kind of pops in my head, this is like an interview question. How much code are you going to write? I'm just like, done. Why? Do you really want to you know, do the check on my PR? I've seen CEOs that still write code, right? It's like, who, who's going to do the PR when he puts that in there? And who, who's going to tell him no, right? I see that as as an anti pattern to where that's that's not I don't think uh, maybe in the early days for sure right like you got less than five ten points on the engineering side yeah go go write code but eventually you have to abstract your way out of it just because it creates too much noise but you still need to be able to leverage your experience you still need to be able to leverage that knowledge to guide people uh, that either especially if they don't know you can't assume that they always know and you just need to be able to bring these conversations up in a in a way that's non threatening to them. Hey, you guys doing this? Cool. I've seen this in the past. You guys doing it? And it's it's just a conversation. And then I think that goes a long way to kind of trust and respect too. I will say one thing in, in my career is if I look at that is some, so I've found that on that depth side is, I totally agree with you. you like you, you, you maybe spend, you know, you might be too deep. Then you sort of pop up. And if you get too shallow, right, you need to go back deep. And I've been fine with, at least uh, with kind of not having a straight line on the depth, but like kind of going back and forth, maybe across an average, like that line that maybe you're sort of talking and at times having to dig back in a little bit further to maybe get some of that credibility or just get the hands dirty again with something. Because if you if you stay out of it too much, then, 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 then maybe that trust goes. You know that you don't have the trust, you don't have the knowledge, and so on. So this is I found this a non-stable state for me personally. Like uh, sort of going back and forth between those things, and mostly it's around new. So it's it's around the new thing, right? It's like I want to I want to try the new thing. Like I like I, and I need to, and then and then I pop back up right to the to to above maybe that line. Um, it's yeah, an interesting pattern for me. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I think for me, like coming from Netflix, we were, we were just AWS. And then I go to a startup, we were GCP. And my entire world just turned upside down. You know, I love, love Dynamo. I love S3. 
Okay, BigQuery. What's that? You gotta go learn. Containers came out. There's all sorts of different flavors. Thankfully, we all settled on, on cakes, which is great, but you still had to go learn. And it, it, was, it wasn't the easiest thing to learn, but in order to be relevant in the future and, and have those conversations with engineers to guide decision-making, you don't, you don't have to go in and understand, you know, how many topics can you put inside of, of something like Docker? How many nodes? I actually know what those are because I've seen my teams run into those limitations, which is, which is great. But it, it's not something that I, I don't think, to your point, like you dive in, get the knowledge, you associate it with past knowledge. And I think you know, it, it, it's just engineering. It's patterns and anti-patterns. It's, uh, you're looking for the patterns in the data in order to be able to apply it to the thing. And I think that, that uh, good CTOs know how to do that. Yeah, and I think I, I always look for, and I'm kind of jumping to the next question again or answering a little bit, but the um, uh, I always look for like the the anti-patterns more than I look for the, like people see the patterns. In fact, people overfit the patterns. It's, if you if you tell me a good anti-pattern, I feel you know the, you you know the tech better right and that's a, that's a bit, that's a bit of a framework i i sort of use to you know understand people and understand uh, technology but i, I did that uh, like coming into mesmo uh it was an interesting because they were initially kind of on-prem and they moved cloud and uh you know they had no cloud i like cloud I'm talking with vp and and so many other people and i'm just like you know tell me about uh your how you're doing horizontal scale any challenges you're having and I'm not there to crucify. I'm there to learn maturity. Mm-hmm. And what I'm looking for is to try and figure out what it is in order to be able to insert my guidance around you know, patterns. And while they had it, you know, not everybody has customer isolation right off the bat. That can be a difficult thing to solve. Horizontal scale concept is easy, but you know, it's 9 a.m. in the morning and things are coming in at you know 100x the rate of what they're usually doing through the rest of the week. How are you going to horizontal scale? And not everybody nails that right off the bat. So for me, it was like this really good bar based off of past experience to come in to ask a question and understand where the team is at in order to be able to levis up myself in order to have a conversation with them. And again, to, to kind of plan like, all right, how are we going to, how are we going to solve this? What's actually being done? Yeah. So, so my next question, and maybe you're, you're again answering it is like, you know, what, what philosophies or frameworks do, do you kind of use um, to do your job, uh, any kind of insights and you've provided a few already. So, um, yeah, this one's, this is, that's an interesting one. And, uh, it's heavily influenced by my time at Yahoo and then, and then going to, to Netflix okay. and, uh, it, it dances around you know, kind of agile. I'm not sure I would call it agile, but I saw how iteration could be a defensible mode at when I showed up there a long, long time ago, engineering was doing about a hundred production code pushes per day, which was just insane. I thought that was that was just crazy. And then eight years later, when I left, I think we were doing over over three thousand. And it, so it was like agile, maybe agile on steroids. I just think of it as iteration to win, and and whoever iterates faster wins. And so. I, I, I don't know if there's a, a term for that, but I know from a, a philosophy perspective, if I'm going into SaaS, is I can out-iterate the on-prem guys pretty easy. And then it's, can I out-iterate competition, which is what we did at Netflix. So that, that's one thing I want to bring. Another one would be, especially for cloud-based products, is not siloing teams to make sure team design aligns to the product building. 
which at a high level means having typically smaller teams that architect code, build, Lloyd assess, and, and our own code on call for, for what they build. And it's been my experience, at least with that type of team design, that ownership and empowerment's higher. The stakes are lower because you or someone on your team is going to be on call. So it creates this internal team accountability and really eliminates or at least a, a, alleviates this type of team design, many challenges associated uh, with other you know, development type frameworks. So I, I don't like to call it uh, DevOps. I'm not, I'm not a fan of, of that term. It has too many definitions. I think of it more as kind of like service-based team design. And then uh, the last one I, I like is I'm big on design thinking, not treating engineers like short order cooks, but having them heavily involved and deeply thinking about the customer problem. It's not just a feature. It's a customer problem. What does it look like in the next sprint, six months from now, two years from now, doing rapid prototypes on a whiteboard? Does it even more? Before even writing a single line of code, to have as much of an understanding of who the solution is for and how how the tech is going to be used. A lot of this is easier said than done, but I think if for that type of product, uh, those three things are really critical to success, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I very much like I, I, I haven't heard I haven't I, I've heard people talk about, you know, the, you know, the importance of agile, but like, you know, being agile to win, like he, the who iterates faster is the winner. That's a interesting. That's a, definitely an interesting way to think about it. Uh, for sure. There's limits. Kind of, I mean, Netflix was consumer, right? And that 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 gives you the freedom to do 3000. You can't do that in the enterprise. But if your competition is doing five per day, and you're doing 20. That, that's that was the beautiful thing about Netflix even today is they're so far ahead from a technology perspective that other people won't, won't necessarily be able to keep up with their ability to scale uh, globally. And, and like if you take that and now you apply it to enterprise business to business, um, as long as you're out iterating your competition, if they have something you don't, then your ability to catch up is high. If you have something they don't, then your ability to keep a lead is high. And as long as you run with that, that should be that should be a definitely defensible bump. Well, I, I definitely think it feeds also with your other point about. So, I I mean I've had seen the, you know, you run it, you, you know, sorry, you you build it, you run it, you secure it, right? To sort of, to not say DevSecOps, but unfortunately, right? But 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 when somebody has aligned priorities, right? I built something. I run it in production. I'm responsible for that, and I'm run and I'm responsible for the, and I'm responsible for the security of that. Those align priorities, uh, you know, like and they, I think they come from, like they they come out of also being agile. That agile environment sort of facilitates those aligned priorities. I think because um, you can't if you're pushing it all the way to production. Well, guess what? It's running in a few minutes, and you know if it breaks in a few minutes, and you're 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 on it. Um, yeah, so. it's uh software engineers i think if you're a good software engineer right like the ability to we're gonna treat you like an adult you own this this is your product but from birth to, to death like this is yours and i think a lot of software engineers they don't feel that connectedness with the on-prem because it's such a big freaking playground where everybody's inside of there and your piece might be small it's owned by somebody else but when you get into service-based design you literally can own something and you need to know who you're a customer of and who your customers are, but that thing that you own, sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I have this like philosophy around like, um, you know, there, there, like, you know, accountability. Yeah, is accountability is if you make a mistake, 
you were responsible for fixing it. Because too often you make a mistake, especially if you if you too much separate, you know, dev and ops. It's like, well, I don't have good mon. I, I didn't put enough hooks in my s- software to do good monitoring because somebody else needs to do the monitoring. Is going to you know is going to take the hours of their time, right? You have somebody else pay for your mistakes, and I think you know thinking about it, like I'm gonna you know pay for my own mistakes and like owning those things like uh, you know makes a better makes a better product makes a better you know service so and, and you and why i said that is because it ties back to your your point about when you deliver software you're delivering software to another organization and somebody else it's truly somebody else's organization whose job to operate it and you're too disconnected from those things it's hard to get that uh, you know alignment so in a service-based thing you kind of you you have the ability to have that alignment uh, Something interesting inside of that is and going back to kind of breadth and depth, and this more ties to as a leader knowing how to build teams is, you know, in the early stages, you're going to have somebody that's working in the code base. And then as the team gets bigger, you're going to start to put te- teams into services. And, you know, cloud-based architectures are intentionally sophisticated, i.e. complicated but you need somebody that knows everything in order to be able to connect the dots. Like when you're doing planning, I'm going to do this with my service. Hey, if you go talk to that team, Hey, do you know what's happening with the team that's upstream? And so the, this is where it's like, it's not just about the CTO. It's also about instilling that breadth of depth into the team, baking it into the process so that you have these people that go super deep on their service, but then you have the people that have the breadth of how everything works because they've been there for a while in order to facilitate those conferences those conversations and mm-hmm. teams that don't do that or companies that haven't do that they usually have issues because product is constantly breaking they can't iterate at a high rate because there's people always stomping on each other well i mean I, th- I think i think your point is companies who don't think about that if you don't think about that as a kind of a framework on then you don't do it and then you sort of don't have those people and you sort of break but so okay so this goes to my um one more question which is like how how do you so how do you build a good team? Okay, and and let me and I'm gonna like I want to call it for the office of the CTO in the sense that um, you know sometimes CTOs have are like true R and D engineers under them. Like, but what what do you like? What makes what makes a good you know team member? What makes a good hire for the office of the CTO? People who report to you doing helping you with your job, right? Um, so. Separate from like the engineering team and the day to day, somebody that's yeah, more the, focused yeah, on separate, the CTO type. Separated from that, yeah. Um. Yeah, I think um, there, there's a there's definitely I I, I think a negotiation that happens typically with like uh, the product team, uh, VP of engineering. Uh, what you don't want to be is you know someplace that is kind of a block project where we're going to go invent something and throw it back to the engineering team to go implement. I I like to talk with uh, the VP of engineering in order to kind of rotate people in. If you're a software engineer, you're going to get burnout eggs. If you're a really good engineer, let's bring them in. It might be advantageous for the career, career development, learning a new technology that nobody else knows about might be hard to hire for. That's a common problem in the industry. But you also still want to have uh, subject matter experts, uh, people who have a history uh, with technology and an understanding of you know, I don't care that this open source project's been out for three to six months and it's the next greatest thing. 
Like it ain't about cool. It's not about the shiny things. It's about understanding the business, understanding the product and bringing things to the forefront that are going to help us. Uh, we, we had this really good at Netflix. We, we would also you know, hire these really smart people. Somebody directly from IBM was one of the committers to, to Docker because we saw the potential of what containers could do because of the internal challenges we had around uh, building uh, development environments for software engineers, but also for capabilities of what it could do for us to be able to take our, our compute utilization from like 85% and jack it way up. So it was also a, a business thing. So having people that are dedicated inside of that to kind of help that guide that decision-making without excluding product or the engineering work and kind of partnering with them in order to bring people in where resources are needed in order to say, hey, we need, we need to either rapid prototype this or maybe it's a longer term thing. And giving other people that opportunity rather than just having like this dedicated black ops team that is just going to do all sorts of stuff. I've seen that fail a lot. Different companies we had that at uh, seen it at, at Google, seen it at, at uh, Yahoo. We had this special building where people would go off and do that or something like the office of the CTO. And I don't I don't remember anything that actually came out of that that ever provided a lot of value to the business. So for mm-hmm. me, it was more about kind of crossing the lines. I mean, I think what if I was to, you know, I come back what you're saying, I mean, there's, there's the, so the communication aspect, whoever's in this kind of role needs to be a good communicator. I think it ties back to what you said before about building bridges. They, they're, they're going to build bridges at different levels, right? Maybe, you know, below the, below, below you, but they need to be, you know, do that same thing, right? So follow that same, um, possibly. It is interesting. You then, you then did say like some kind of subject matter experts. So there's a kind of a, a depth versus breadth there thing. Also, I, I heard in your, like, sometimes it's yeah. about breadth. Sometimes maybe it is about depth in an area that you might sort of need. And obviously that could sort of change as your, you know, your business changes. Anything else on the good hire side? Uh, the well, last comment, it's really, I mean, you have to understand the business as a CTO and when, okay. and when you're setting up that team. It's, it's really, you know, where I'm, I'm in a business right now building cloud-based data pipelines. Okay, cool. Well, we know a large part of that's going to be Kafka. All right, cool. What's happening with Kafka? Better go know. Might want to go set up time with the with the, the, the cloud computing clients. What, what are they talking about? And it's not always about technology and, and implementing. A lot of it is is relationships. And that, was, that was always one of my superpowers of networking and being involved with what's going on at John Hopkins, being involved with what's happening other tech companies and and making sure that you have optics on holy crap like they they solve something and that problem is our problem and it's not about what's cool it's about like understanding other your business and how that relates to other businesses and and other even research that's going on out there and making sure that you understand when to bring that in and when it can be solved and is it a next year thing is it a three-year thing and starting to create the horizons around kind of that product vision and, and how it's going to align to the problem you're trying to solve. So let's change gears again. Um, let's, so from like, how does your, how did your organization, the others, right, in your organization sort of measure your success? Like what, what, what would they the, say? What would they say? Not what would you say a good CTO? What would they say they, they, they get out of that? Um, like here, I, and here, another related question is simply like, if you pick two key functions, just to use as examples is like, wh- what are they? And what, what, what do you give them? Like, uh, you know, like what do you give your sales team or your marketing team or your product? Like, like that's that those two questions go kind of hand in hand. Um, 
Well, this feels kind of like an eternal question, right? It's, uh, it's, it, it, and it's, it's definitely, I think, answered different ways by different people. So, you know, you, you say CRO, revenue, right? But it, it, it could be stage dependent as well. There, there, there might be an element to that. Uh, you, know, you get to, to CTO, uh, your product delivery, say do ratio, features delivered. I, there's, I, I think, you know, some of it you got to you know, break down to, uh, you know, team building, morale, retention types of things that, that show your ability to lead and build a team, but then you know, you, you're, in, you're in the business to build a, a business. So I think the perspective, I think, is uh, it might potentially be somewhat similar to the CRO and that it's partially based off of uh, team execution and delivery, but the added dimension being shared responsibility between product engineering, delivering uh, product value, uh, potentially expressed as a metric as uh, potentially like TTV. To how how easy is it for your product to be? How how soon does the customer see value? I think an engineer's CTO has has a influence on uh, product or or fe uh, feature usage metrics. Uh, you guys built a built a feature. Uh, you know, it's SaaS. It's one of the great things of SaaS. Who's using it? Uh, you know, potentially even revenue related uh, directly to product value. Uh, if we say this, you know, is is of high value. Uh, say it has like a new skew with it. Uh, are we actually making revenue off of it? If if not, why not? And I, I think the CTO could be partially held responsible for some of that. What what? No, that makes that makes sense. What can I can I like? So a lot of those were okay. I'll say product, and I'll say internal facing things. What is what? So so. Another thing I ask is like this internal versus external balance for the CTO, right? And like, and you've answered it a little bit in interesting ways about like, okay, if you want to, if you need to know about Kafka, well, you need to go talk to the people who are like building Kafka and like understand what the community is doing with Kafka. And that's clearly an external sort of, you know, part of that, like, you know, uh, but how do you sort of see the internal external balance for the, the, the CTO? Yeah, this was, this was an interesting one for me as, as I was, building relationships with CTOs. And, and it was very also stage dependent. I think what you need in a, a CTO in the early stages is very different as you start to hit product market. And and what I saw and even what I was uh, approached uh, by companies for was, you know, in the early stages, technical is fine, but eventually that, that CTO needs to be external. They need to talk to uh, a whole host of different people could be the media, could be a conference, like that, uh, especially their co-founder, right? But I, I, I not, you know, technical people and, and this, I, I relate with this, like I was extreme introvert. A lot of us on the, on the technical side, we tend to skew very heavily towards introvert. And, and I was kind of mentored into go speak, go talk. And while that was a hard transition, not everybody can make that, but the business needs it. I think if you get to like a CTO Carbon Black is a friend of mine, right? Like highly, highly technical guy, very just smart. CTO of Carbon Black, they don't need that. That's that's not your role anymore, right? And I think if you have that dichotomy of co-founder all the way to you've gone IPO, you're a public uh, enterprise CTO, those skill sets are total different ends of the spectrum. So for me, it's, uh, you know, I... I I try and work on both 
say I'm perfect with analysts. I'm very opinionated and sometimes they don't like that. Okay, like I should work on that. But I do public speaking pretty well, right? Internally, I try and do it pretty well. But I think as you get later and later, later stages, also because the org grows larger, you're going to be less and less involved, per se, with some of the technology. It really does more towards a business CTO position. And I think that's where I've kind of focused. Like, I, I want to get on that startup where, yeah, thanks for using my technical background. I want to help the business. I don't want to be that, that really great technology that fails. I want to be a business builder and understand from a CTO perspective, you know, being known as a business CTO, I don't think is a bad thing. And so brushing up on your business skills as the company matures, I think is definitely the right way to go. Oh, that's interesting. Um, that's it, it. It's interesting in that that kind of internal. I, I can imagine sort of as I do more of these interviews, like creating a little scale of internal versus external, and maybe that mapping to that to time life of a company, right? Um, and. Uh, I really want to turn this question around on you because I, I think it's been about 10 years since I met you and you were co technical co-founder. And now, I mean, you, I'm jealous. I'll admit, I want to be you. You know, you're a $2 billion corporation, half a billion fundraised, and, and you've gone through this. Like, I, what's your answer? I'm curious. Um, it, I mean, it, it, it aligns with what I just said in, the, in that each phase of a company right needs a different a different um type of cto right i i, I do have a friend who kind of runs around in the a and b round of ctos and he sort of says like i don't go past like he doesn't go past that right because he doesn't like right and he like he knows where his sweet spot is of of that phase of the company right um and the people buy into it. He's very successful in that in, in that area. Um, I will say on the, on the flip side, like I have watched people go too long, like go past their kind of sort of sweet spot, and they need sort of um, like they don't maybe have the self awareness that they're beyond their uh, you know uh, you know beyond that time, right? Um, but I think one thing that helps if I was to sort of pull out that skill to be able to go for a while is that self, that self-awareness, that ability to sort of understand where you are, understand what the business needs and, uh, and adapt to that. Right. Like, um, and so that's, that's that, like being adaptable, um, and knowing what you, knowing what you need and having those conversations with those, those peers, like, uh, is, is important. So. Love it. Love it. So, Another, um, I think there's another set of people out there listening that is like our aspiring CTOs and like, tell me like, if I was to like, where do CTOs come from? Like, where are they like, and in, in your, in your, you know, experience, like what do they like, I mean, and I'm sure there's multiple paths. I'm, that's why I asked, I'm asking multiple people, like, where do they come from? Um, I think the. If you're gonna say that they're, you know, the obvious answer is you're working your way up through engineering. CTOs, I think a lot of times typically come from engineering, maybe some exceptions. Um, and for me, uh, 
it's funny this this is uh it's resonating with me because i as i was transitioning at a bc friend of mine was getting advice from he was like rob your career path will appear asymmetrical to many companies might might not appear to follow the typical career trajectory and to not waste time trying to convince those companies otherwise you need to seek opportunities teams and people who see value in the varied and that diverse background while leveraging but there are i mean there's a lot of companies out there that want symmetry you you were an intern you were a junior you worked your eight level one level two level three staff architect chief architect cto which you know if you were to create maybe a diagram maybe that's what it looked like so it wasn't wasn't you know my career path i i was just i'm opportunistic that's why my my career was asymmetrical i learned cobalt to work on mainframes back in you know the y2k late 90s networking cloud security i just wanted to learn everything so my career didn't follow that typical intern junior senior type stuff uh but i also think it's my diversity my depth in certain areas that made me valuable which uh, eventually led to, to my cto role but I, I like that insight about the i mean they come from different ways and like this, this is about, this is another self-awareness thing know who you are right know who you are and know oh, what strengths you have and, and 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 own that and then find an organization that values that right like yeah. uh, um that i mean that's probably the best advice there um if somebody was aspiring uh, to be one yeah. so 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 the counter one is like what do ctos do next like once, you, once you've been one, <laughs> what do you what do you do? It's oh. it's funny. I was I was having this. I, I actually have this conversation frequently with uh, either people I mentor or people on the team. And uh, usually the conversation comes up of I want to be in that meeting. And I remember being that person. I want to be in that meeting because I thought, well, if I'm on the, if I'm in that meeting, that's where the decision. And then you get into that meeting, you realize, wait, there's another meeting, then there's another meeting. And then you're a CTO and you're still in the meeting and uh, just same meeting, different flavor, right? And so for me, uh, you know, as you as you start start to think about that, like, uh, you know, there, there's people like you that, you know, if, you, if you've had the success, like what well, you've had at Illumio, like you retire uh, on a beach somewhere after the IPO. Like I think that's uh, definitely one play that, that could uh, definitely a, tra- a trajectory that, that you could go. But I think... Uh, I think uh, about this question a bit as I get further into the second half of my career. And uh, I think of my old CTO at Netflix, Neil Hunt. He, uh, he transitioned while I was at Netflix from the CTO to the CPO. And I didn't quite understand that at the time. But I do see some CTOs transitioning to CPO roles. I mean, I see some of the traction. CPO controls nothing, but is at the center of everything. Focal point for engineering, but also important marketing and sales and that that's that's interesting. Like you're getting even heavily more heavily involved in the business side and, and not just the technical. But I I you know I'm I'm spending quite a bit of time with my CTO mentors because I think CTO is another landing spot. Uh, I really like uh, Satya Nadella at Microsoft. He is one sharp CEO. And while uh, I don't think he officially had the CTO title, uh, I'd argue that he had a, a very similar role as at Microsoft. And so I think I think. Uh, Another one that pops to mind is uh, uh, Max Levchin, uh, the CEO of the firm, but was the co-founder CTO of PayPal. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, I think um, those people, they they learn one side of the business and they're really good at it. But as they, you know, you know become the business CTO, you know, then if, if they're if they're still wanting to to be more and more and more involved, 
and then ultimately like the ultimate decision maker, which I think a lot of us want, then you know definitely that that CEO role looks good. But I, also there's the flip side of that of others I've seen go to the chief architect side. Maybe they miss or or they just like the technical side just too much, and maybe they they care less about the business side, and so they drift into technical like the chief architect. I think that's one of the internal questions in startup is, do you have a chief architect, a CTO, or a VP of engineering? Figure that out and then put them in the right spot and hire for the other spots. But I, I do, I you know, not as often, but I do see CTOs that end up drifting into the chief architect position as well. Yeah, I think I think I want to, uh, as, as I do more of these uh, interviews, I want to get a few people who are former CTOs and kind of ask them the same question and, and sort right. of... Uh, um, because um, as you and I are both in the job, uh, so I, like that's a little bit you know further beyond that. Um, the, the, just the the insight that they would have. Yeah, I was. I did this. Here's all the bad stuff. The great things. Here's here's what I wasn't like. Uh, all the things I didn't expect as a CTO that I know. Now. Like here's having why I somebody miss it, there. and here's why I, you know, and, and here's right. why I don't. Right? Like, That'd be so uh, great. Uh, I'd watch that. So so. Um, you, another thing I'm, I'm as I'm trying to like talk to more people, it's like they're trying to develop some kind of taxonomy. And I mean, you brought in the idea of the business CTO. I will tell you that um, I saw somebody on LinkedIn who wrote hands-on CTO. Like, and and they clearly felt that in their profile they needed to say hands-on CTO. And I'll I'll posit that there are. And, and you've sort of mentioned there are people who have gone too far to that CTO that I'll call in the chief talking officer kind of role. And they probably wanted to sort of, by saying hands-on, they wanted to separate themselves from that kind of person. Um, but that was a, curi- that was a curious thing. Um, any other types of CTOs? If you were to sort of put a word in front of a CTO to sort of say the different flavors, I guess. Because, um, I mean, you've, you've already given me one today. The, the, like that, that There's that business CTO. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a kind of flavor. I think, um, it's an important at like, I, not that anybody is not that I think it's part of your point, but there is a, um, people are a little bit more technical versus business savvy. That's a, that's a dimension of the problem, but. Yeah, that's a spectrum. I think, uh, I think you'd have like a, the visionary thought leader CTO, somebody who's just so far ahead of everybody sure. else. And nobody understands what they're talking about, but then they go and execute, and then boom, they're they're the next big company. So, that the visionary thought leader CTO, I think, is uh, is important. That's that's pretty rare, uh, but it's uh, it definitely exists out there. Uh, I mean, I've seen, uh, yeah, there's there's the the, the non technical CTO, like it it does exist. Uh, it's not it's not common, but what is what I, is I've, that? Somebody, somebody who comes from the business, uh, let's say they're, I, I mean, like I've seen CISOs become CTOs and they, you know, they potentially don't have they're more of a business or an operations background than a technical background. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, there's and like, I'm not here to like mention names and, you know, get into kerfuffle or anything like that, about whether it's right or wrong. But I, I, you know, there, there is this, this idea of, of people from the business side coming into the technical world because it's a leadership position, right? Like ultimately if it's later stage and you have a really strong technical team, maybe what they need is leadership more so than they need technical leadership. And so I, I could see that happen as well. And I, I have, so. I, I, I personally want to talk to all the different flavors. Right? Like, uh, like, uh, like it'd be, it's cause I always think there's something to learn. Like, you know, from from 
you know, all different kind of, uh, you know, points of view. So, um, the evangelist, you didn't mention that one, the evangelist CTO. Going back to like, uh, you know, taxonomies, what's been interesting last what, five, eight years, office of the CTO, field CTO. I think the first time I saw this was, uh, Palo Alto networks. Uh, they needed a cloud CTO. And I was like, well, what's near going to do? And they're like, no, 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 it's not the CTO role. And I was like, oh, what does it actually do? But then they, they had like field CISOs and you're starting to see this. It's not just the CTO role. It's, it's uh, the CISO and the CTO role where it's a uh, sharing of a responsibility of the internal and external and can't be everywhere all at once and all this other type of stuff. So I think you see that as well. Oh, interesting. I, 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 I know the field CTO role. I haven't seen the field CISO role. I totally have seen people talking about that concept, but uh, I totally buy like I totally buy that. I'm not I'm not paying attention to that title. So, uh, but that makes perfect sense. Um, Throwing in um, some of my security background. Yeah. So so here let's 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 because because we're probably near the end. Um, let's talk a little bit about technology for a second. So, where do you think? What is a technology space that you think is undergoing a significant amount of change? Like something that's really changing and like what's driving that change? And the third one is what challenges are coming out of that change? That's that's the kind of... Uh, uh, that second part is interesting. So, I mean, you, you can't help it, but I'm going to say it. It's going to sound kind of buzzy, but I'll get into the explanation, right? So... Uh, the bunny answer, I think, right now with everything going on is current, is something like ChatGPT, and I I like the AI space around natural language processing and understanding. Uh, I had decent exposure to this at ArmorBox. It was really fun because I spent I don't know how many years working with security startups that were all AI, and it was really hard. And and the reason why and it really hit me in the face with something like uh, NLP and NLU was there's not an established baseline for how to do it for secure. But you look into the natural language processing, there's models, there's training data, there's things that ju it just works. And it works because the algorithm is specifically written for the data. So going into something like Armor Blocks, where like I showed up and it's like, we do machine learning. Yeah, shut up. And it worked. And I was like, look, crap, this is amazing. And then you start to learn about, you start to investigate because you're CTO. Like, what are all the use cases for this? And then you realize how many academics are working, how many enterprises are working on it, how many things are open source, and then what are the things that it's solving? And so I think that space, and, and we're seeing it right now, but I, I, I don't think we've fully even recognized it. Like it's more than just a screen, you type things in and it talks back to you. Like your, your ability to actually influence, and th this gets into the downside too. There's an interesting question I saw it on LinkedIn. It's like, okay, cool. This whole AI thing is interesting. What's the downside? It's like, well, for every good thing it can do, having you know, studied adversaries in the past, there's 10 things that could go wrong with it. So you get into propaganda. We've seen a lot of this in the last uh, eight, nine years. It can, it can be used for some serious malicious stuff. Uh, that The reports that are coming uh, in from different organizations, agencies around how, how it can be used for imitation, uh, influence uh all sorts of crazy stuff is it's that's it's already there they were probably doing it even before these things became popular so it's uh the evil side of it's definitely there for sure it's, it, on um 
Sorry, are you going to say something? I was going. I was going to. Uh, one thing I was. I was reading this other article about how. Uh, what's possibly challenging is like the confidence of a single voice, like sort of talking at you, right? And that because it's you know so human and um, you know um, specific provides examples, uh, it could be way more convincing than it actually should be, right? And that's a scary thing. Um, so yeah, I was just echoing, echoing. It, it was interesting because they were talking about con. They were talking about the confidence of the voice of Chat GPT as a as a as a as a, cha- as a potential you know challenge or risk. So, and sorry, I interrupted you. Um, no, I think uh, two other ones that, that that popped in my mind when you asked that question was I like uh, innovations and movements kind of around uh, kind of cloud space perspective. I don't think we've quite seen the full potential of something like five G and edge compute. And it's got a lot of buzzworthiness right now, all the hype cycle stuff. But I, I recently had insight into a company called Macrometa in that space. And it's really impressive how they think about uh, compute data pipelines. Uh, and it's something that's, that it's not like AWS where it's regional. Like they're just, they're already thinking global. And the problems that they could solve with moving that to the edge as kind of a new pattern that, uh, as a platform where they provide you a construct to work with rather than AWS where it's more of a canvas slate, you gotta go put it all together. And so I, I think uh, it's definitely different than what we've seen from the last 10, 15 years. And so I think I think we'll see a lot of there over the, over the next you know, three to five. Uh, the last one to be a uh, personal favorite and I've spent a lot of time on it in the past is VRAR. Uh, the design principles are still developing on, on how to build functional interfaces, but the problem set that, that they could aid in. Uh, there's one of my connections that's doing it for healthcare, which I think is is a fantastic use case. And you've probably seen some of the commercials on TV around that. But I think uh, that one is is in the immature stages. It's it's infancy. And once they figure out design principles about how to properly use it, it's not going to make you get sick, but actually is, is useful. I think that will be super interesting as well. No, that is interesting. Can I go back to the Edge one for one second? Because I... Yeah. I, I, I... I was watching this. Uh, I, was talk- I was talking with this the CTO about um, uh, design. Like they, they were they were worried about they were worried about saving money at the end of the day, right? And and one way to save money is you introduce design constraints, right? And so they were able to ex- you know accelerate their application development by giving them people less choice, right? And in this environment, right? Um, I'm not saying that's good in all environments. Sometimes you need all the choice to do that kind of very innovative thing. Um, but I heard a little bit because I find I find that kind of dichotomy interesting. It's like I'm going to give you less of something so we can get something more. And so was I right to hear that like when you were sort of because you said the blank slate of AWS versus I you implied there was a, like a little bit more constrained environment in the edge and that was a uh, or, or did I hear wrong? Not, not um, constrained. I would I would say it's if you think of like AWS, it's like okay, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to build horizontal scale. Okay, cool. Is that easy? No. Like, how, how do you do that? And even today, I'm still, you know, been moved from Netflix for eight some years or something like that. And it's like, I still get calls all the time on team design and doing and how are you scaling it and all this other type of stuff. It's not, it's not ubiquitous. And it's because it's still kind of a black art. It's, it's not well known. And so, you know, going then to something like uh, 
Acromet Edge is they give you like eight lines of code. And from a, an engineering perspective, it's like now I have access to this entire architecture and all I got to do is go solve a problem. And they abstract away complexity and, and sophistication in a way that an engineer uh, appreciates for specific problems. It's not going to solve all the problems. Like you probably, I think most of the companies that are using it, they still have presence in the cloud. And it's not like for me, it's not like edge compute is, is new. I mean, I, I could sit here and argue about Akamai and, and Cloudflare and say, like, this is a, another flavor of that. But again, if you go back to the challenges of AWS is uh, which region? Okay, cool. We're going to do East. Why? Because everybody does East. All right. Well, uh, we have 50 milliseconds of latency for people coming in from Canada or Alaska or Japan. What are we going to do? Well, we got to set up another region. Well, how's that going to work? How are we going to replicate data? Cost it's like, this is one of the ways that you could kind of solve that and still have a connection back to backend processing where it's going to be for uh, your data scientists and, and your, your data analysts that are answering the business questions. But the customer experience is highly increased because they're constantly getting five millisecond or less latency. And that's what they need for their video game. That's what they need for their website. And that, that, that just that concept of like just visually and, and understanding architectures that just resonates with me a lot. That makes sense. So any, any final thoughts before we do our little lightning round at the end? Uh, anything, I mean, you, you've, you've shared a lot. It's been a great conversation. Um, um, <laughs> I'm not good at lightning rounds, so I'll do my best. No final thoughts. Um, all right. So, so, um, what is one book you recommend? Um, I like pretty much anything from Patrick Lucioni, uh, but recently I had the, somebody gave me the book Leading by Heart by, uh, Bear, John, John Baird and, and, uh, Sullivan. So I, I, I would, recommend people those okay um you have any, a podcast you listen to that you like uh oh viewers of course um but um um yeah the the security engineering podcast i think uh patrick gallagher i think uh that's a pretty interesting one it's uh, called security friend, engineering uh, pardon me that's the name security engineering yeah the security engineering podcast it's a pretty popular one it's uh if you if you do search for it, like if you're in this, you know, obviously engineering leadership, like I am, it's uh, it's got a lot of really good content. Uh, highly rated uh, too. And then I, I have a friend, uh, Ryan Rain. Uh, he does one called Security Conversations, and he's just he's a fascinating guy. I'm privileged to be able to call him a friend, and uh, he he's a former uh, security guy doing a lot of uh, investigative type of stuff. He's a former journalist. Recently left Intel to go back to kind of journalism type of stuff and. Security Conversations is a, a good one. And then on, on a personal side, I've discovered this guy, uh, David Coggins, former former SEAL, uh, inspirational speaker. And he just says these things that are just like super relatable to me. So David Coggins would be another good one to listen to. Okay. What about a movie TV show? Uh, oh, there's so many. And you know, one that, one that doesn't get enough press in my opinion uh, is this really great show on Apple called For All Mankind. It's fantastic. And I don't think enough people know about it or watch it. Like, go watch that show. It's really great. I, I've seen it up there on the Apple thing. I have not clicked on it. So, oh, it's uh, fantastic. Um, and then, and then one more was it like, what's a, what's a tech that you like, like a, a maybe a more obscure tech that you sort of love that you, uh, <laughs> you know, 
plug. Skewer tech? Or something. No, something, maybe something you just picked up. Something just like... Uh, uh... Oh. I don't, I don't... I mean, the most obscure tech I have is like a... I'm just fascinated like by my... On personal note, I'm by my Apple Watch. Like, I, I'm still just amazed that uh, all the things it can do and growing up as a kid, thinking about how it would be crazy to have something like this, like pure science fiction, but it's just sitting here on my watch and that's probably showing some of my age but uh i think on a personal note something like that is interesting on the professional level i just love cloud compute if i never touch a physical system again I, i'm okay with that uh, but just the ability to do what you can do uh in cloud like the, the, all the power uh and and the variety like i i'm just a huge fan all right that's a that's a, that's a great answer to both of those answers, the watch and the cloud. So uh, It wasn't obscure, but I love the watch. All right, Rob, I appreciate it. This is a great conversation. I, I learned a lot. Um, and uh, I, It's always a piece of the puzzle I'm trying to put together in this like CTO thing, so you, you've added another piece to it. I appreciate that. Well, thanks for having me on, PJ. It's been fun. Mm-hmm.